0: More about your renovation project.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, I hear something like never again. Oh my word! Uh, why not? What? What? What's so? Rather move, rather move than renovate again. But why? Inconvenience, delays. Wow. Right, right. Oh, well, okay. So uh, I, hope, I hope Charlie's the only one who's had such a bad experience with renovations. No, oh, no. no, another one. Tell us more, Marek. they saying,
1: yeah, I'm completely in my grandma's house, top to bottom. And- not realizing
0: how many new jobs there were that I hadn't accounted for. Oh, right. So so, there's always a bit more. I and mean, you think you're done, there's something else. Right, right. Yes, Lance? Um, when you do renovation work, it seems to
1: follow the pattern
0: that it always gets worse before it gets better. It gets worse before it gets better. Right. Any happy stories out <laughs> there about <laughs> renovation? Yes, Victor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Victor. I
1: recommend the reason for all
0: I bought an old, on Lombardi some guy. Oh, right. The best ones, yeah. I, and I, I thought I'd find someone, I'd pay some money to prepare a phone,
1: and every single member, I went, to, what's the difference <laughs> 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 between touching So eventually, I it to do myself. And I I, mean, I can't work, I didn't work. Well. But I have to get another drum, cut bits out of it, get screw up bits I've and patched up. It eventually worked, and I use it now. But the through it was so inconvenient, but when I did it, it was so committed and solid. But now when I look back, I don't feel that pain anymore because I enjoy using part of it so I, I'm so grateful that I went through that painful bit. And eventually, did it. It's worth
0: it. Right. So there's, there's when we talk about and think about renovation, there's the experience of the renovation. And then there's the outcome. I mean, I've been to Charles' house, and I'm pretty sure, Charles, if you look back now and think like where your house is now, I mean, are you happy with the outcome? Sure, doesn't take away the memory of pain? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> there's the pain, and there's the outcome. And I'm, I mean, we walk in there, and I'm like, oh, what a lovely place you've got. Yes, Little. I think it's small scale
1: renovation that I really enjoy. Yeah? Like when we repainted our house in movie, or did the, <coughs> the front trailers and things like that, it's not so big that it's too disruptive. And when you see the result, it's, it's, it's really worrying. When
0: you do it in bits and pieces, like in Namibia, yes. We, we, we bought the house, <laughs> but when we bought it, it was one of those, you know, when the, when the estate agent says, you know, it's a renovator's dream <laughs> <laughs> or you can really make it your own. <laughs> you know, when the estate agent says, oh, you know, this is a house that you can really make your own. <laughs> Jackie's saying, you better make a joke your because <laughs> you're not going to like it the way it is. You know, it's a painful process, but when you look back, you see like, oh, wow, it's so nice now. Whatever painful memories I have and how difficult it was, it was worth it. Um, and a lot of renovations go like that. Where does it all start? I mean, why do we even, why do we even begin to think about let me renovate this? I mean, what did you think, Charles? Why, why did you think let me renovate this? I was happy for the way it was Okay, tell us more. Family pressure, maybe? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Lance? You
1: you can see in your mind's eye what it could be. I mean, I wish Anne was here right now, because you talked for years on it. But you can see, you you obviously reacted, but in your mind's eye, you know what it could be, and that's the the motivation to bring it to reality.
0: Right. So, so you look at what you have and it's like, you know, this is not great. This could be better. Or, wow, I have a vision for this to be something much better. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to Charles' house, he says, no, I, I was happy with the way it was, but he showed me, you know, our kitchen actually stopped at this wall here. And it started at this wall here and, and our living area was only this bit here. I'm like, oh, wow. A family of four in that small space with a dog and two cats, it's like, hmm, definitely needed a renovation. If we look, renovation starts with a reason. Nobody just starts a renovation, well, can't say nobody. Some people just like the actual work. But you know, most people don't start a renovation because they're bored and they want something to do. They, they have the vision of something better. And they realize that what they have is not great. So um, we're going to look at renovation today and in a series of a new thing. So we looked at Abraham, and we kind of follow the chronology, Abraham's new things, where there was the clear calling new thing, there was the buy new thing, the allowed accidental new thing, and the promise of a new thing to come. Then we looked at uh, Daniel uh, two weeks ago, where we looked at life is a roller coaster of new blessings and challenge, new challenges. And sometimes new blessings are followed by new challenges. And then new challenges are followed by new blessings. And today, following the chronology, we're going to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah fitted into, into kind of the history of the exile. Daniel was uh, in exile. And part of what he prophesied was the rise of a new kingdom and the return of the people of Israel from exile back to Jerusalem. And then after Daniel, uh, people started returning back to Jerusalem. But what happened is they went, the Jews went back to Jerusalem bits by bits and kind of everyone was doing his own thing. And they started living again in the towns and the villages around Jerusalem. Some even moved back into Jerusalem. But Jerusalem at that time, uh, what do you think In what kind of state was the city of Jerusalem by the time people moved back? What happened before that? Why were they in exile? Who knows? Babylonians. Babylonians. Say again? The Babylonians. Yeah, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians basically ransacked the city. Uh, they completely destroyed they broke down the temple they broke down the walls around Jerusalem so basically for those people moving back to Jerusalem what they found was maybe a bit of a dump it was one of those estate agents uh, uh, sales pictures of oh this is a renovator's dream you can really make this place your own that's how Jerusalem was so, and the first thing people did when they moved back is they just started rebuilding their own houses and so, okay, let's just rebuild my place where I can, so I've got a place to live. And that's where we pick up the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, at this time, he did not move back to Jerusalem. He was still in, uh, in a city called Susa, which is like the second city in Babylon. It was... Uh, you know, in those days, I think they have the royalty in Britain have that as well. They have a summer house and a winter house, I think. Balmoral. Balmoral, yeah. In the summer, they go to Balmoral up in Scotland, and then in the winter, when it's too cold there, they come down here um, to Windsor. Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle or whatever, yeah. You know, they, they, the royalty migrate with, uh, with the seasons. That's my, my uh, retirement plan as well. You know, is <laughs> uh, to migrate with the seasons <laughs> like royalty. <you> know? <laughs> Spend my, 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 uh, my summer, the Northern Hemisphere summers in the lovely British summers with the long days and the, uh, and, and the beauty of, of, of England's green. And when it gets too cold, migrate south to South Africa and, and have another summer there. And then come back again for the summer here and forget that winter even exists. <laughs> Live like royalty. That's how royalty was in Babylon as well, so they had uh, uh, the the main city, and then they had Susa, which was where the winter palace was of the the royalty. And uh, that's where Nehemiah lived. And Nehemiah uh, at this time lived in Susa, and that's where we we read where the book of Nehemiah starts. Now, when last did you read Nehemiah? Ooh, ooh. Who can remember when you last read Nehemiah? No, a long time ago. If ever, maybe never. <laughs> um, yeah. certainly when I was assigned this topic by by Malcolm, I was like, Hmm, I think I roughly remember, roughly know what the story of Nehemiah is about. But let me better read it again because I haven't read it in quite a while. Uh, and it's amazing how you discover new things every time we read. Uh, the Bible or old stories again, it's amazing how you discover new things. I appreciate uh, Oge's uh, welcome message this morning, which was... Did she disappear? Which okay? Oh, she's the kids. Okay. How she discovered new things in Genesis. Um, when, we, when, we, when we read the Bible again, uh, even though it's old, it sometimes becomes new. And it, and it somehow God regenerates and renews something in our spirit when we revisit those old scriptures. And this word, renovation. Uh, renovation, yeah, we apply it usually to houses or pieces of furniture that we renovate. Uh, what does it mean? The roots, it refers to newness and doing something again. It's uh, from Latin, re is for again, and the novare, which means make new. So make new again. That's renovation. It's take something old and make it new again. And the Bible, it's amazing. That's why Hebrew says, the word of God is alive. It is old, it's between 5,000 and 2,000 years old, yet it's new. Every time we read it, it is like new. And every time we read it, it renews something within us as well. It makes our heart and our soul and our spirit new again in some way. But the whole story of Nehemiah is about renovation and about making something new again. It implies also that at some time in the past, it was new, but then it got a bit old, it got a bit stale, maybe dilapidated, it got worn down, it deteriorated a bit, and sometimes it needs renewal. And sometimes that renewal is quite surprising. Like I saw Garth up there this morning with a guitar. I'm like, wow, Garth? I was wondering have you been uh, taking guitar lessons? You know, is this, a, is this a new hobby of yours? It's like, oh no, I used to play guitar back in the day. In fact, I used to be a worship leader here some time ago. It's like, an, oh wow. Now we've, uh, someone decided to renovate Garth and his guitar and I'm really happy about that because it sounded great. Um, but that's renovation. Renovation means renewing something that maybe somehow got a bit old and it was new at one stage. So back to Nehemiah, the, the TLDR. Now, let's see, from the older people, who knows what TLDR? No, you're too young. You're a techie guy. (laughs) The techie guys. uh, I like to educate myself in internet culture and all the new things. Uh, Come on, Lance, you you seem like you're figuring it out. (laughs) I would say internet new, you know, one of these meme things and texting short, uh, it means too long didn't read. (laughs) So you often find it on the internet when you read things like, people. oh, that's too much reading. Here's the TLDR. Executive summary. The executive summary, yes, the abstract of, uh, here's the TLDR of of, of Nehemiah. There's a map on the right hand side there. Uh, Is that red light visible? There's Susa. So that's the Persian Gulf, that's kind of modern day Iran, Iraq. Um, There's Babylon. So Babylon is the winter or or the summer uh, palace, and Susa is the winter palace, or the other way uh, way around, can't remember. That's in the mountain. Susa is the summer palace, and Babylon the winter palace, and there's Jerusalem. So Nehemiah was in Susa when he wrote the book of Nehemiah, and he went back to return to Jerusalem. Uh, It's the year 445 B.C. At the time, King Artaxerxes was ruling in Babylon, Nehemiah was in exile in Susa. Uh, And some of the Jews, they arrived back to Susa, they came back from Jerusalem maybe on a family visit or something, with some news. And that's where the book of Nehemiah starts. And Nehemiah is sitting in, in, in Susa, and you know how it is when people come from foreign land, some of us are here are foreigners, you know, when someone arrives from Kenya, or Uganda, or Nigeria, or South Africa, or uh, Hong Kong, you're like, oh, what's news, what's happening? You know, give me an update. We want to know what's happening. So some people arrive from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah goes, what's news? Tell me how how things are going in Jerusalem. And the news are not that great actually. In Nehemiah 1 verse 3, we read that they tell Nehemiah, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. So Nehemiah, he records in his diary effectively, uh, this whole book of Nehemiah is like his diary. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So the news that Nehemiah got was not great news. It was, yes, the people are back, but times are tough. Jerusalem is in a mess. The place is a dump. It is. It has been destroyed, and it is just the same as it was left by those who ransacked it and who besieged it and eventually conquered it. And that you know, caused a lot of sadness in Nehemiah. He sat down and he wept. So with all of these renovation projects that people talked about, this renovation starts with some kind of a desire, some urge, some realization that you know what, things need to change. This old thing is not good enough being this old thing anymore. It needs to be renewed, it needs to be renovated. And sometimes it's practical things like a house that needs more space. Sometimes it's uh, practical things like a house that's really too old and it's falling apart or it becomes dangerous. Um, maybe the gas boiler is you know, it's leaking gas, there's water leaks, there's damp, there's all kinds of things that we, we cannot live with this anymore. And it starts with that motivation of, of having a look at something and say, you know what, this thing that was once new has gone old and stale and dilapidated over time and it needs renovation, it needs renewal. Now it could come with sadness, with excitement, with trepidation, with fear. Anything that looks like a a DIY building project to me uh, stirs up all kinds of fear and trepidation in me. I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh please not. (laughs) It's not my thing. But sometimes we say, you know what, it needs to be done. And there's some great spiritual lessons in Nehemiah about exactly how he, uh, his response. So after Nehemiah after Nehemiah sat down and he, and, he, and he wept and he prayed and he fasted, uh, his response was to ask King Axis, where he was serving in the, in the, in a, the court of the king, uh, for leave to go back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and to start off with just to, I've got to see for myself. Now I'm not gonna, uh, we're not gonna read all 13 chapters. It's definitely worth it going to read it for yourself. About uh, how all of that went, but basically the period. This is where it started, 445, and then for 445 until 433. So that's about what's that? That's uh, you have to count backwards. So it's uh, until 445. It's 10, 12. For 12 years, Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem and he served as a governor in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And he starts off with uh, arriving in Jerusalem and seeing that. The walls around Jerusalem is completely broken down. And in the meantime, there are still some enemies of the Israelites scattered around Jerusalem. So the people don't feel safe. They live in fear. And Jeremiah starts off with the decision to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And that's how it started. And I'll give you a brief overview, just running through the chapters. Um, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem in chapter 2. We see that Jeremiah first of all starts off with it as a secret thing. He goes at night and inspects the wall. And then he decides we've got to do something about this. This old thing needs to be renovated. It started off with something very practical, a building, rebuilding of a wall. There's nothing spiritual about that. It's about the safety of the people. It's about them feeling safe about the city that they live in. And Nehemiah starts uh, discussing this idea. He starts uh, influencing some people. And they decide to start rebuilding the wall. Very soon in chapter two, we find that there's some critics. There's some mockers. There's some opposers. Now, if anybody has started something new or tried to renovate something, you'll always find those who doubt. It's like, an, oh, you're crazy, man. Really, you're gonna do that? How long did the builder change gonna take? Three months? Wow, oh, that's so funny. You can double that and double the budget as well. So by the way, you will Nehemiah had exactly the same thing with his building project. People laughed at him, they mocked him, there were critics, there were people who opposed him. By Chapter 3, we see that people started being inspired by the work that's starting to happen. And the community started coming together to rebuild this thing. One man's vision to renew spread to a whole community. And people started getting involved. In uh, Chapter 4, we find that there's more opposition. Now this time, it's both from the inside and from the outside these uh, other enemies of them that were scattered around Jerusalem started noticing that, oh, they're rebuilding the defenses. Because that wall around Jerusalem, which, uh, whoops, let me see. Where's my laser? That's the wall around Jerusalem there. And what is amazing is, uh, I mean, this is a completely separate side note, but the accuracy of the history of the Bible, if we think this is written two and a half thousand years ago, through archeological excavations and putting together pieces of history, they can basically redraw the picture of the wall around Jerusalem. And on this map, you can see exactly where all the different people's houses were and the different gates that are mentioned. And all of this was destroyed in 70 AD, 70 years after Christ, and for about 1,800 years, was completely leveled with the ground until the Victorian times when excavation started again. And as they excavated things, they realized, wow, it's exactly as Nehemiah described it. The Bible is a reliable history book when it comes to history, even though that's not its main purpose. Anyway, so they started, um, so these nations around Jerusalem, they started mocking the the, the Israelites who were rebuilding because they were like, hang on, these guys are rebuilding their defenses, this defensing wall around Jerusalem. And they sent them all kind of messages, tried to discourage them, oppose them. Um, Opposition came from outside. At some point in Chapter 5, we realise that this renovation is not only about the walls being rebuilt. And Nehemiah realizes that this is a spiritual issue as well. And it becomes an issue of integrity and principle um, you can go and read the story yourself in, in in chapter five. And then I think even worse, probably the worst opposition happens. In chapter six, we see that now there's opposition, spiritual opposition to this project. And a number of false prophets arise that try and, and say, but God says you shouldn't be doing this. And God says, don't rebuild the wall. And God says, this is, this is fruitless. And, and, making claims in the name of God that this is the wrong thing to do. So Nehemiah's renovation not only has kind of secular opposition but now spiritual opposition that he had to deal with as well. In chapter seven, things turn around and people started putting together and we read about all the different gifts and the different roles that people have that they start contributing. And some people say, oh, I, I'm a bricklayer. I can, I can help with bricklaying. And some people, you know, they were artists and they, they helped with rebuilding the the, 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 art in the artwork in the temple. And, and some people were warriors, so they stood guard while other people were building. Everyone contributed to the project. But then becomes the big turnaround where this rebuilding of the wall, which was just a physical thing, became a spiritual renovation. Because what happened is that they found the Bible, the book of the law, the Torah, they found it in the temple. And Nehemiah says, but we need to read this, because this is our book. Now, like we discussed, when last did we read Nehemiah? There were decades here, if not hundreds of years, where people were not reading the Bible. Now, I'm pretty certain nobody here has not read the Bible for hundreds of years. (laughs) Um, None of us are quite old enough. I hope there's nobody here that hasn't read the Bible in in a decade or more, or in decades. Uh, If not, I'll be happy to help you with that. But when last did you have a good read of the Bible? Is it still part of your regular habit to spend time in the Word of God? In chapter 8, we find that uh, Nehemiah says, let's get everybody together and read this book of the law again. And they find this old book and read it as if it is new. And they discovered new things, as if they were old things, as if they were new things. And we'll come back to that uh, just now. So they read the Bible that they found. And on top of this physical renovation, a spiritual renovation of Israel starts. In chapter nine, we read about how people repented, they confessed, they started worshiping again. They remember their history, they remember the old ways, they remember the festivals that they used to celebrate. In chapter 10, they renew their covenant with God. We'll come back to that in in the communion. And then in chapter 11, we read how, how they restore the way of life of the Israelites. Leaders move back into Jerusalem. 10% of the people of the, uh, all over Israel or Judah come back and they settle again in Jerusalem. The Levites, who were supposed to serve in the temple, and the priests who were supposed to serve in the temple, who were all scattered throughout the, the, the country, they all move back into Jerusalem. And they revive the spiritual practices of the, of the Jews, the temple worship, the sacrifices. And then eventually in chapter 12, they end up with rededicating the wall and rededicating the temple. What started off as a physical project ended up with a rededication of a spiritual life. And it ended up with great joy people's giving resumed, the temple service resumed, the sacrifices resumed. And then finally in chapter 13, uh, Nehemiah finishes off, the book of Nehemiah finishes off in chapter 13, with kind of the sober realization that sometimes renewal uncovers some challenges, some tricky tangled situations, some uh, Some hidden sins, some things are very difficult to undo and untangle. Uh, And sometimes when people renovate a house, they find that as well. Uh, I think Liesl watched a program about this castle that a couple was renovating in France. And every time they took a room and kind of, they start off with removing all the plaster and of all the old stuff, removing the f- ceilings. And sometimes they find amazing things. Uh, they're like, they would remove a, a vinyl floor like this and find the most beautiful wooden tiles under it. And sometimes they would open a, say they take the wallpaper off and they find out everything behind it, all the wood is rotten, the pipes are leaking. And the more you uncover and the more you try and renew, actually the more you uncover and untangle things that, that you realize, oh my goodness, this is gonna be messy. This is going to be difficult to fix. And that's the story of the renovation of Nehemiah and the wall, but also the people of, of Israel and Jerusalem. It started off with rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, but how it turned out was reestablishing the word of God, renewing the covenant with, uh, between Israel and God, Uh, the priests and, and the Levites returning to the city to resume service in the temple, and renewal of the keeping of the law. And all of that came with some real big challenges. For example, how do you deal with some of these situations? Now that they started reading the law again, the Jews read that, but you shall not marry someone who is not of the faith. What happened? The Jews went back to Israel, a lot of them were single, and they started marrying the locals who were worshipping all kinds of statues Baal and Asherah and other kinds of gods. Some of them were really terrible. Some of them were gods where they sacrificed their children to those gods. And these are the people they married. Now they're reading the law that God forbid this with good reason. So what do they do? It's like, what do we do now? You know? God says, don't divorce. And he says, don't marry these people. Hmm. Difficult dilemmas. You know? Which way do we go? That's just one example. There are several other examples as well in Nehemiah. But renewal sometimes uncovers tricky situations that we need to untangle in some way where we need God's wisdom. Let's look at just two examples. One for a spiritual lesson for ourselves and one for our communion, um, uh, uh, communion thoughts. Nehemiah 8, verse 1, we read that uh, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. This is where they discovered the book of the law, the Bible, in the, in, the, in the temple. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And we're going to read about more about that in the book of Ezra in the Bible as well. In verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Wow, from daybreak till noon. Daybreak this morning was around six thirty seven until noon. It's about five hours of Bible reading. That's a pretty solid quiet time, that. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had a five-hour quiet time, spending five hours in the Bible. But it can change you. When we go back to God's Word, with a heart to be renewed, amazing things happen. And when these people heard the Word after many years, many decades of doing their own thing, doing whatever they pleased, doing whatever they thought best, This had a huge impact on them. In verse 4, we read that they found, written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So it talks about this, uh, festival, what's called the festival of the huts. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great." They experienced a spiritual renewal when they went back to the word of God. And they realized, you know what, this is something that we haven't done for hundreds of years. This festival, which God is to celebrate the time when they lived in the desert, in tents, and it's to remind them of how God took care of them in in the time in the desert. They rediscovered this and said, let's celebrate this festival again. And And the joy was very great. Now, as we go through in Nehemiah, now this is a, fe- a, 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 a celebration of a festival. It's something which is like, an, hey, who doesn't like a party? You know, it's like God says, you know, you need to have a party, you need to celebrate. Well, that's not too tough to do, I think we can do that. But some of the other things which, they, as they read through the law, brought people to, to tears, to sadness, because they saw their sins, both collectively as a nation and as individuals, They realized there were things that they neglected. They realized that as a nation, spiritually, they needed to be renovated and renewed. And maybe in some areas it went fine, and some areas needed renovation. What's the application for us? I was thinking about, you know, what are the areas in my spiritual life that needs renovation? That, you know, if I look back at it and think, hang on, I haven't done this for a long time. This is something I haven't paid attention to. Like I was reading through this and I was reading about how they fasted, and I was trying to remember when last did I do a proper fast. There was a time when I did a three-day fast at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, sometimes more often. And I was trying to remember when last did I do that? I couldn't remember. I realized, yeah, you know what, there's probably something in each one of us, and and it's not the same for everyone, and I'm not saying, oh, you need to all fast. But when I reflected, I realized this is some area of my spiritual life that I neglected, that I need to renovate. And it's a bit like like these renovation projects that some people mentioned. I thought like, oh oh my goodness, this is gonna be a project, I haven't done this for a while, do I really wanna tackle this? (laughs) I'm not quite in the mood. It's hard work to fast. It takes a lot of dedication. Um, and especially, I mean, it depends how you fast, but all, all fasting is tough. Um, when I fast, I, I fast only water. It's not, a, it's not a sunrise to sunset fast. I, I do a 24-hour fast. And then I find it tough. But like these people, at the end of it, my joy is great. And like all renovation projects, by the end of it, I look back, at it, back on it, and I think it was worth it. And I look back at it, and I think, wow, it is what I see now, the outcome of it was great. The effort was, was, uh, was challenging, but the outcome was great. What area of our spiritual lives, maybe as a congregation, maybe you as an individual, if you reflect on it, do you think, you know what, this needs renovation. And I'm not asking this question to make anybody feel guilty. It's not about feeling guilty about anything. But it's worth thinking about renovating our spiritual lives. Is it your Bible study? Is it that, you haven't, that you're not spending enough time in the Bible? Is it you're not spending consistent enough time in the Bible? Is it your prayer life? Is it that you don't pray enough? Is it that you don't pray often enough? Is it that your prayers are shallow? Is it your community life? Do you need to renovate your love for each other, for the brothers and sisters? Is it your care for the poor and the needy? Do you need to renovate, uh, you know, caring for the people who are homeless, getting involved in some charity projects? Uh, Is it your giving, your financial giving, that you need to renovate? Is it your evangelism? Is it sharing your faith? Is it maybe discipling someone, mentoring a young Christian? And, I mean, we can probably go on and on and on and on. But it's worth reflecting about. What is it that each one of us think, you know what, I need to renovate this in my spiritual life. And if it fills you with a bit of trepidation and fear, even better, because then you know it's a project worth doing. That's going to have a great outcome. Let's reflect on that. How we can like the story of Nehemiah some spiritual renovation in some area of our life and know that just like them like there in verse 17 that at the end of it we will know that when we renovate something in our spiritual life our joy will be very great we're going to have communion now and the other part I want to reflect on is that in uh, chapter 9 of Nehemiah We read that uh, they stood where they were. So this is after reading the book of the law in chapter 8. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. And what we read after this is that they go and they renew their covenant with God they remember that God made a covenant with them long time ago in the time of Moses which when they read the book again they realized that God said you know what here's my covenant with you and what is that covenant about it said your part of the covenant Israel is to keep the words in this book to love me and to love your neighbor and God said my part is I will be your God and you will be my people They rediscovered that covenant and realized that, you know what? God was still faithful to his part of the covenant. We neglected our part. And they renewed that covenant. I was having a conversation with someone um, recently about renewing their faith. And they were kind of disappointed about how they neglected their part of the covenant with God. And during that conversation, I realized you know what? This covenant that God made with us as Christians is something amazing. Because when Jesus made the covenant, His part, He died for us on the cross, He gave His body, He gave His life, He spilled His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And He said, I will be your God forever. I will will continue to forgive your sins. Our part of the covenant is to live in the light, confess our sins, love God, love our neighbor. And I realize what the most amazing part about this covenant is, is that this covenant allows one party of the agreement to fail. And fail again. Now a covenant is a contract. When last did you enter into a contract with a business in this world that allows for you to fail in your part of the contract and then just renew the contract again? I don't know, there's some business people in the room. Um, I don't know, you you do contracts, big business contracts. Have you ever entered into a a contract like that? Not willingly. Not willingly. (laughs) Yeah, nobody, nobody in the world writes a contract like that It says here's my part, there's your part. Normally there's about 20 clauses that says if you fail, then you pay this penalty and that penalty and that penalty, and then if I fail, you can claim this and this and this from me, and by the way, if any of us fails, that's the end of the contract. The relationship is broken. That's it, you know, we, there's no rescuing of this contract. After the 20 penalty clauses, there's about 10 exit clauses of how do we exit this contract and, and make it null and void and say, okay, that's it, it's a thing of the past. Isn't it amazing that our contract, our covenant with God, God says, you know what? I will remain faithful, I will not fail you, but you're part of the contract, it's okay. You can fail. You can you can fall short of your contract as long as you come back and ask for forgiveness, as long as you confess, I will forgive you. What an amazing contract is that. That is the nature of the covenant we have with God. That's what the Israelites realized with Nehemiah, that they can renew their covenant, not make a new one, renew the existing covenant. And every week when we have the fruit of the vine, that reminds us of the blood of Jesus, and the bread that reminds us of his body, it is like renewing our covenant. Not making a new one, just renewing it. Saying, God, yes, I failed. But thank you that you haven't failed in your part of the covenant, and that you can keep on forgiving me. As we have the the bread and the fruit of the vine, let's think about that, and I'm going to ask Liesl to pray for us.
1: Let's bow, praise Father, we are ready. Actually, I'm quite amazed standing here, Father. I'm sure others as well, Father. Just by your ultimate love, Father, for us, that you've made a contract with us, Father. You're the perfect party, Father. We are the, the ones that fail repeatedly, Father. But despite that, we still a bad father. You still reach down, Father, and are willing, Father, to, to take us back in time. Father, you're the ultimate renewer. Father, you the ultimate creator, Father. When you created the earth and, and the heavens, Father, um, you knew that it was not going to be perfect. When you created the human beings, Father, you're going to fail at some point in time, Father. But you were already, Father, ready with a plan. Father, thank you so much that um, Jesus came, Father, and became our intercessor, Father. Jesus came, Father. So that our sins can be forgiven, Father. He paid the ultimate price on the cross, Father, and uh, renewed our standing with you, God. Father, I pray that we will be um, always, Father, grateful for that. And as we reflect on the cross, Father, as we partake in the communion, Father, that we will be reminded of the covenant between you and us, Father. And thank you, God, for... Your perfect land, Father. Thank you for your son, Father. And thank you for taking away our sins, Father. And help us to keep uh, the covenant alive, Father. Help us to remain faithful, Father. Help us to be really and truly ambassadors of you, Father. Because without you, we aren't anything, Father. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.